Welcome to the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. My name is Shmuel Tenenhaus, and this is the Shmuel Tenenhaus podcast. So, uh, it's taken me a couple of weeks to do a podcast. Obviously, there are many, many things that have developed since this last podcast. Uh, the terribly tragic events that have taken place in Eretz and Israel. Um, the murders, the hostages, the ongoing war and attacks. And uh, the first thing is that uh, we have to respond with action to support our brothers and sisters in Israel and the Jewish people in the world. And here are seven things that you can do. I got this from Chabad.org. Thank you. Um, one, uh, put on tefillin, obviously not on Shabbos and Yontif. Tefillin is one of these things that it says that it will instill fear in the nations. And believe me, if you've ever put on tefillin in an airplane or an airport, it does scare the bejesus out of people. So I can vouch for that. Lighting Shabbos candles, checking or having a mezuzah in your house, praying for our brothers and sisters, being charitable. There's uh, a plethora of places that you can donate to help the people in Israel. Nurture our faith, which has kept us going for thousands of years. Uh, there's also a uh, Unity Torah scroll that you could get a letter in, another aspect of Unity. Uh, actually, the last couple of weeks, there's been a tremendous amount of Unity that is palpably felt within the Jewish community. I myself, Shmuel Tenenos, the Shmuel Tenenos podcast, called a couple of people that uh, were on my block list, do not call list. I could have been on their, these people's do not call list, and I've made amends with them. I won't tell you exactly how long my list of people is. It's it's long. It's notebooks and notebooks full, but it's definitely uh, one of the many amazing things that have come, come out uh, during the last couple of weeks. Uh, I will also say that uh, I've never really experienced uh, religion like I do, uh, Again, in light of all the horrible things that have gone on, but whether it's paying more attention to the davening, appreciating going to shul and seeing friends, um, getting some, some peace and tranquility on Shabbos, and just, again, being electrified by the strong unity and the call to action of bringing light and helping one another. Uh, you can really see the true essence of the Jewish people in times of duress. And uh, obviously, I have a complete newfound respect for my Jewish ancestors and your Jewish ancestors for having gone through thousands of years of untold persecution and genocide and somehow keeping it together. Uh, you know, like everybody, we found out here in Outside of Israel, we found out on Shabbos, and it was going to be Shemini Yitzharis at night, and the question was, you know, do we do, kapar, uh, do we do hakafas? Do we still dance? And how could we be joyous? And do we just cancel it? And the reality is, if Jewish people canceled uh, holidays or any joyous occasion on account of persecution or anti-Semitism, we'd have zero, because uh, there's always been anti-Semitism, there will always be anti-Semitism, and uh, somebody is always going to want to kill you uh, just from the fact that you are 
Jewish. That's the good news. Um, we say every year when we do the Agada, Vihi Sha'amda Laveseno. And Elo Shabachol Davardar Chalaseno. In every generation, the nations try to kill us. And sometimes I tried to explain that to my kids in previous years. Yes, this was something that, you know, our great grandparents went through. Uh, but to actually uh, experience in our lives, uh, again, gives a lot more meaning, unfortunately, uh, to these prayers. I think in general, uh, you know, some of the things I wanted to share that's uh, been helpful with keeping me sane somewhat, because was I ever, was I ever sane to begin with? I, I don't know if I can say that. Um, so a lot of uh, exercise is a very good thing. Um, it's a way to release the fight or flight uh, in your body in a very healthy way. And also, uh, as I've mentioned a couple times prior on this podcast, I stopped following the news months ago, which means I know what's going on, but I have uh, trusted sources, which are all my friends and family and people in shul who tell me what's going on. For me personally, everybody's different, but I don't see... Uh, any point in absorbing news for six, seven hours a day and feeling uh, paralyzed that I can't do anything. Again, everybody is different. And, uh, you know, people say, how could you not follow the news? The truth is, you know, unfortunately, when we found out on Shabbos, nobody had phones, nobody knew what was going on. It was, you know, the news got to to us uh, regardless. So instead of for me being uh, getting annoyed uh, and feeling hopeless or helpless when I'm reading news, especially if it's fake news or distorted. Again, I get it through a very healthy channel, which is my friends and family. Um, so, like I said, this is uh, like everybody else in the Jewish community. Um, you know, this is a very serious time. And by nature, my podcast, the Shmuel Tenhouse podcast, is meant to be a humorous podcast, which... Uh, for the most part, we try to avoid uh, anything serious. And so the question is, you know, I was struggling. How do, how do I do a, a podcast that is focused on comedy in such a uh, dark moment in time for Jewish people? And, uh, and I remembered something that I read in Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Here we go. It's on page 43. To discover that there was any semblance of art in a concentration camp must be surprise enough for an outsider. But he may be even more astonished to hear that one could find a sense of humor there as well. Of course, only the faint trace of one and then only for a few seconds or minutes. Humor was another of the soul's weapons in the fight for self-preservation. It is well known that humor, more than anything else in the human makeup, can afford an aloofness and an ability to rise above any situation, even if only for a few seconds. I practically trained a friend of mine who worked next to me on the building site to develop a sense of humor. And then on the next page, on page 44, the attempt to develop a sense of humor and to see things in a humorous light is some kind of trick learned while mastering the art of living. So uh, there you have it. Uh, if I can provide any relief and humor and can distract people, including myself, for a couple of moments. Uh, it is my duty to do so. In general, I've noticed that uh, I've, I can categorize people in uh, two buckets where I see people in our community. 
I see the people that are doing stuff, actually doing stuff, whatever that is, getting together with people, calling friends, uh, showing up in shul, uh, baking challah with people, uh, doing mitzayim, and they're taking action. And you have people who are just kind of sitting around, not sure what to do, and uh, that's a painful place to be. And so I want to encourage anybody and everyone who's listening if you're a creator, make sure to continue creating uh, and make sure to do something about what's going on so you feel uh, powerful, even if it's, again, calling somebody who you've blocked on your phone for a couple of months, even if it was their fault. Uh, you, can, you can get over ourselves and, uh, uh, you know, make peace. It's time. Uh, so uh, without further ado, I want to continue talking about some of uh, the topics I prepared for this podcast. So first of all, uh, the last couple of weeks, as I mentioned, uh, I've actually asked a lot of friends and family, hey, do you think it's appropriate for me to release a comedy podcast? And the response that I got from every single person was unanimous. And that was, wait a second, you have a podcast? How come you never told me you have a podcast? What's your podcast about? So obviously that was a very uh, devastating response for me because I thought that people knew about my podcast, but clearly they don't know about the podcast. So the other thing I should mention is um, everybody knows Jewish people are very small, <laughs> small number-wise, and uh, it's one big community. And everybody knows somebody who is either there, they live there themselves, they know somebody who lives there, they have family there. My parents were actually in Israel for Sukkot, and they decided not to leave and to run away from Israel after the war, and they have stayed put there for the last couple of weeks, and I've been visiting army bases and soldiers and also sending me a barrage of WhatsApps at all times of the day, particularly my father. It's very, very good at uh, WhatsApp. And uh, so my parents are, you know, just to give some commentary, obviously very good edu Jewish education for me to, to see my folks that when there's a war, we don't back down and we do whatever we can to help. And But apparently my parents are the only people who are much calmer uh, in a time of war in Israel uh, than... If they were just home, uh, living uh, with their family and kids. So everybody is uh, a little different. Uh, I'm a little concerned about my parents now in Israel for the first time uh, since the war started because they figured out how to install the Walt app. Walt is the equivalent of Uber Eats, but for Israel. And so now that my parents could offer, uh, could order cold kosher food, warm kosher food at any time of the day by the press of a button... I wonder if they're ever going to come back to the USA because all they had really here left for them was Uber Eats, but now there is uh, Walt now that they have in Israel. Um, I think in general, a lot of the angst that we're feeling within the Jewish community right now, if I have to say so, is uh, in general, we know Jewish history is they attacked us. There was a war. We won. Let's eat. And right now we are very much in the first phase, which is they attacked us and there's a war. 
And there's a lot of Jewish people that I know deep down what they're really feeling is we want to feel this, win this war right away so we could eat and we want to be able to celebrate. And again, right now, there's actually the war going on. And the first part about it is, and there are people that I know just want to eat right now and skip the whole, there was a war and we won the war. Now we're going to celebrate. They just want to go straight to, to the food. And unfortunately, uh, there has to be an interruption now because there is a war. We're all at war. And uh, eventually, though, uh, we will win this war. Uh, the Jewish people have been around a very, very long time, thousands and thousands of years. And uh, we have a secret sauce that keeps everything together, which is our spirituality and our religion. And uh, God willing, for sure, it will keep us going until the time of Mashiach. Uh, I want to just talk about how I found out uh, about the heinous attacks that happened in Israel. I was actually walking to Shul on Shabbos of Shemini Atzeres. And I confess that while I was walking, I was wallowing in self-pity, which is something I commonly do when I walk. I judge myself and I say, why can't I be like this? Why can't I be like this? I should have done that. So you know, it was very, 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 very uh, soul-crushing uh, conversations going on in my head, all very selfish about myself. And then somebody from our show pulled up and told me uh, the atrocities that were being committed and uh, roused me from my little self-pity party that I was having in my head. And it literally reminded me of the Caps Camp song. Uh, it happened on Kippur as they were praying. A truck pulled up. The sergeants were saying, only this time, it wasn't Yom Kippur. It happened Shemini Atzeres while he was walking to Shoal, wallowing in self-pity. A car pulled up and told me what was going on. And to this day, I'm upset at the person who told me what was going on because if he didn't tell me what was going on, then I would have been a much happier person for at least 10, 15 minutes. Why do you have to rain on my parade? I guess I could have just come to Shoal and somebody could have told me. Um... The other thing that was particularly interesting was a couple of weeks ago, there was a Friday that was the day of rage. And there was a question, you know, about schools, if the kids are going to stay home or if they're going to go to school. And in our household, there wasn't even a doubt because we knew that if the kids would stay home from school, my wife would have a day of rage just because the kids are home from school. So... That one and the kids went to school like all the other kids went to school. Um, one of the amazing things about uh, being hated as a people is uh, we already have a lot of the infrastructure in place. So the, the kids' school and our shul, like so many other shuls, already have security, video cameras, people with guns. Uh, so... That's like a great thing that we have baked into our ecosystem that, you know, people are like going out to get guns. I already own guns because I know that people want to, to harm me and my family. So that's this is a silver lining going on here. Um, I'm also aware that uh, 
couples now, the latest thing that couples in our community are doing now is they're doing date night at the gun range, which on the one hand, it's, it's a little disturbing, but I've always been an advocate that when you do go out with your wife, uh, to avoid argument, it's best that you can't hear each other. And in the gun range, they give you uh, these, these uh, what are they called? Things that go over your ears so you can hear the noise. And uh, are they earmuffs? I don't even know what they're called. And uh, you just shoot with your wife, and then afterwards you go out, you go out to eat, and you, can, you compare your uh, targets. And the other day I was walking to Shoal, and now the security has a new protocol. They, the guy asked me, hey, are you packing? And I was like, no, I'm not packing. Well, he said, well, I was hoping you were because I forgot my gun at home. And that does not instill a lot of confidence in the security that I have at the show because the guy forgot his gun and he's hoping that I would bring him my gun. So in general, we had armed security at the show. Now we have more armed security at the show and uh, it's very good, Baruch Hashem. Uh, the thing I think that also uh, hit people particularly hard uh, and some th- people are, are dealing with it uh, and when I say people, I'm talking about myself also because I would fall into the category of people. And that is that forget about, you know, in addition to all the terrible things, horrible things that happened in Israel, uh, people realize very quickly that we don't have a whole lot of friends or people that like us for that matter in the world. It's just a fact. Uh, The Jewish people are the only people where we get slaughtered and people are immediately protesting that we got slaughtered. Either it wasn't enough or uh, we're not apologetic enough. It's it's a crazy thing. And I think that's, uh, again, people feel very uh, isolated and alone. And uh, like I mentioned, the good news is uh, I think we have thousands of years of experience uh, dealing with this and uh, surviving and thriving through such a situation. I do think that uh, we should strategize in terms of how maybe we can get more people to like us as Jewish people. And these are just some theories that I have, but I think people should bake cookies. And when you see somebody not Jewish say, hey, are you not Jewish? I'm Jewish. Do you want a cookie? Do you want to be my friend? Because that's kind of how it works on the playground in school. You share your snacks. We can do that. A lot of great cooks or chefs in the Jewish community. And people say, oh, you're crazy. Let's give it a shot. Let's see what's going to happen. Another thing that... uh, I noticed, and this is not the first time I've noticed something like this, is I, I wonder if in your atmosphere or in your immediate life, you have people who are nuts on a regular basis, completely uh, have a lot of emotional issues, a lot of trauma, depression, anxiety. But when a tragedy happens, somehow they seem more normal than everybody else. It's as if they feel that everybody else is wearing now the same lens or the same perspective that they had. Not only are they doing okay, 
but they're doing better than everybody else and they're doing better than they've ever been because they're very comfortable in the pain and the trauma of what's going on. Um, now, uh, this was, you know, a couple days after the war started. There was a guy that I saw in Shul and in the synagogue. I saw him come to prayers. And I looked and what I observed immediately is that it's obvious that shit has gotten real. Because for that guy to show up to synagogue to pray in the middle of the week, it's got to be a serious situation. He came two days, three days. I was more afraid just seeing that guy in shul than even hearing the news of what's going on. Because again, to see this man in a synagogue coming a few days to Davin, again, it just speaks volumes for, uh, you know, you know what's, what's really going on in, in the world. Now, I never thought I'd say this, but I actually miss the shul conversations of old. I miss when on Shabbos, people would talk about the high interest rates and what they're doing for yeshivacation and uh, what they're selling on Amazon and cash advance stories and what they're getting from Crudo. Now, the conversation is, is a lot more depressing. They're just congregating guys in shul and they are uh, junior generals and they're discussing war strategies from the east, from the west. So they go from the south, from they come from the, from the, the north. And uh, again, like I said, uh, I, I wish the conversations were about the nonsense uh, that it typically is and was. Um, other things that I think that might be uh, helpful is we are a very, very, very small people. And if people are getting triggered from being online, just remember that when you're outnumbered by this much, everything online, whether it's the voices, the comments, what's being shared, and most importantly, the algorithms and the platforms that you're on are always going to be biased against you because you are a minority. And that's just something that you have to know if you want to spend time there, that the odds and everything is stacked against you. And um, remember, you, we, we got to stay strong. So if it's not really contributing to your mental health, I would highly advise getting a briefing in the morning for 15 minutes and a briefing in the evening um, for 15 minutes. So again, we're, we're very small people. So how do we deal with that? So another way to do it is I, I really think that it's time that we revisited our conversion policy to the Jewish people. Not to skirt halacha in any, in, in, in any way, but maybe we have to do some more outreach to get people to convert into the community. Um, now, and big families, large families, uh, that want to join. We have, we have so much to offer. We can bring them around by Jewish holidays, invite them Friday night, and we can do it again in large groups so we can start building our numbers. Now, we do have a couple of hurdles to get through. So, for example, they have to accept upon themselves every mitzvah and the whole Torah to do a proper halacha conversion. But circumcision, I think, is going to be a tough nut to crack. No pun intended. And so my thought was, rather than focusing on everybody 
we focus on a subset of the demographics, and these are the 50, 60% of the people who are already circumcised. Obviously, uh, the women don't have to be circumcised. But for the men, we focus on the ones that are circumcised. So we can set up a little table outside of stores and say, hey, sir, are you circumcised? Great, let me tell you about this great religion that we're offering. We have a lot going on. Yes, occasionally people want to kill us, but we have a lot of guns and we protect ourselves and we're going to be great and everything's going to be good. And the other thing is, I also think like in terms of getting people to convert, I would say that maybe we give them Shavuos. I'm not saying we give up Shavuos as a holiday, but we, we loan it to people and just say, hey, for two days, we just have dairy. We are personally lactose intolerant, so it's not the best holiday for us. Give it a shot. It's two days. You just eat nonstop. Some people have dairy meals. Some people have meat meals. And let's see if what our conversion rate is. No pun intended. I work in, in marketing. So yeah, it's all about customer acquisition. And uh, these are some thoughts. If somebody has uh, better ideas, uh, let me know. One thing I would hope not to have seen, but I'm seeing a lot of it, is the sense of competitiveness persists within the from community. And now, particularly, what people are trying to outdo e each other with uh, is weapons. These are the conversations that I'm hearing in Shul, like the Friedman family, forget about the fact that they have guns, they have their own rocket launcher. You got the Minkowitz family, now they have a flamethrower. How does that supposed to make me feel when I just have guns and this guy's got a rocket launcher, this guy has a flamethrower, another guy in my shoal has nunchucks for the kids. Uh, it's hard. Uh, one guy converted his Hummer into a full-on tank um, with missiles on the back. And I will also say for people who are making light of the situation about security, uh, about Jewish security, that it's an important thing. And I, I hate hearing Jewish people say, yeah, I'm going to get a gun, but I'm waiting for Black Friday or Cyber Monday. Okay, great. You're a savvy Jewish shopper. But we have to defend ourselves. So don't wait for a buy one, get one for a gun. Like don't be searching gun coupon codes all day long because you need that extra push to see if you're going to get cash back uh, on your weapons. Uh, next. So... I want to go off on a couple other things that have nothing to do with what's going on. And that is, with inflation roaring, as it has been, uh, some expressions don't make sense anymore. Like, for example, before inflation, people, when they were feeling great, they would be like, hey, I'm feeling like a million bucks. But today, after inflation, if somebody says, hey, I'm feeling like a million bucks, I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry to, to hear that, that you're struggling. Uh, maybe sit down, have a cup of water. I could lend you a couple of cupcakes. But uh, I'm sorry you're feeling at such a low. You know, hopefully things will turn around for you. And uh, you'll be feeling one day like a billion bucks, uh, like all of us should be doing. 
The other thing is uh, I've gotten invited in the last couple of months to multiple Jewish events, uh, including a birthday. And forget about the fact that I was invited to a party, which is already offensive, but it was there, there was a dress code. And, and I think this is where we have to draw the line and say, if you want to invite me to your party, that's okay. But the dress code, no. In fact, when somebody invites me to an event with a dress code, I'm, I'm tempted just to show up in, in my birthday suit because you, wanna, you want something formal here. I'm coming in a suit. My birthday suit. Stop telling me how to show up to your party. I also think that real friends don't invite real friends to a party. You invite it because it's an inconvenience, it's a hassle. You got to get a babysitter. You got to come out. You got to go to sleep late. You got to wake up with the kids in the morning. To your birthday party, you invite people you really don't like, that you want to inconvenience. Like, hey, listen, I know you have a beef with me. So now I'm going to do a party. It's going to be this and this time for a couple of hours. Come, come sit with me. The other thing I want to talk about now in this challenging time is uh, a marriage hack that could help with your communication with your spouse, your wife in this case, because I'm giving this for advice for males. And I, I think it could really enhance your marriage by, by my, my many ways. So what happens is I find that women, the wives ask the husbands to do things. And sometimes, not always, the wives won't necessarily show immediate appreciation or adequate appreciation, or they'll have an immediate follow-up task which when you have a you know, very small ego, you're waiting to get complimented over and over for days and days for the little nice thing that you did. So where I think a lot of guys make a mistake is if the wife asks them to do something, let's say build something, put together a piece of furniture from Ikea or something, the problem is they do it very quickly. And there's not enough time for the wife to absorb how helpful the husband is. And it, it happens in a blink of an eye and... Like, okay, great, let's go on to the next thing. And for a wife, that also feels like, hey, my husband doesn't love me that much because he just wants to get it out of the way. He just wants to do it very quickly. Now, a better approach would be your wife asks you to do something, what you normally take a day, you, you need to stretch that out for two, three weeks. And so, for example, if she asks you to build something, you got to leave the tools kind of spread out. And whenever she asks you to do something, say, hey, honey, remember you asked me to build this little carriage, which is what I'm doing. And that's evident by the fact that there are tools everywhere and uh, for the fact that I'm a little on edge because I'm doing this. Because when your wife sees, wow, this is a long commitment. He's putting in three weeks to do something that it takes him an hour. Like Nayach, he built a Teva 120 years because he wanted to get the people's attention. So again, Try not to do what your wife asks you so quickly. I think your wife will appreciate it. It shows love. It shows honor. It shows respect. And uh, I think things will be uh, a lot better for you. The other thing I will say is I was on a Zoom call with a friend. Let's say his name was Moshe because that's his name. He tells me in the middle of the call, hey, Shmuel, you got to really, really do something about those nose hairs. Because we are now in a Zoom meeting era. So back in the day, you know, maybe you were meeting to somebody face-to-face. -face, they couldn't see right up your nose. But now, especially if you're on the phone and we're doing a Zoom meeting, I could see right up your nose. 
And there's a nose here situation that needs to be dealt with immediately. And I'm also saying this as a public service announcement for anybody who has, you know, a nose that is doing Zoom meetings. I want to uh, finish off, if possible, talking about uh, something very dear and um, feel very vulnerable talking about this, but I'm going to do it nonetheless, talking about the chargers in my life. So as everybody knows, and it's not talked about so much, you know, you have your family, you have your parents, you have your close friends, but the closest things to you, more than all the things that were previously mentioned, previously mentioned, are the chargers that charge your phone. And typically, people have two. They have one in the car, and they have one in the house. And they sleep better at night knowing that, yes, there's one in the car, and you didn't take the one from the car and put it in the house, and the one from the house and put it in the car. Because sometimes you could be driving and you're just one charge away from not having a phone and God knows what can happen. So I want to say that the one in my car right now is malfunctioning. It was doing very well for a while. And it appears as some medical issues right now, it doesn't even recognize my phone when I put it in. And so I have to hold it on my lap while I'm driving. And depending on how my thigh is positioned, it will or will not charge. So it's not 100%, but in a pinch, maybe it's working for me. On the flip side, I have a charger in my house right now where I think it was a secret military charger uh, that accidentally got into my pos- got into my possession because this thing can charge a phone in about 60 seconds from zero to 100%. I may be exaggerating, maybe a minute and a half, maybe two minutes. This charger is a keeper. And even if the charger in my, f- in my car is not working 100%, I know still things are going to be okay. I have that amazing charger, which I never thought I'd have such a good charger in my life. Anyways, I want to give everybody a virtual hug. I love you all. Uh, We are a very, very strong uh, community and people, and we should continue being strong and showing up. We will win this war, and uh, I will see you back, God willing, uh, for another podcast next week. In general, I had this thing where I would tell guests, hey, you know, can you be on my podcast next year or two years from now, three years from now? I think I'm going to try to bypass that now by telling them, hey, I remember I told you a few years from now. However, now is a war. Can you make an exception? So we'll see if that tactic will work. Thank you and good job us.